been experiencing all along through life that you were born with. This is about a new kind of joy that is a result of the Spirit of God that indwells His children, those that have received Him, those who by faith have trusted Him and crossed over from death to life. This is a very special joy. And the verse raises two questions. First, the first part of the verse says, these things I have spoken to you. What are these things that he has spoken to us? And it goes on, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. Well, how do these things make Jesus' joy in you full and complete? We need to understand that. And that's why we've read from the context. We've got to understand this from the context. In our passage today, Jesus frames what true friendship is. And that's why the title of this particular message is The Framework of Our Forever Friendship. Go back to verse the first verse, if you're looking at your Bibles or you're looking at your Bible online, the first verse is from the last chapter of 14, and it's an unfortunate chapter break. Jesus says, I want everyone in the world to know <laughs> that friendship with God is possible. He doesn't say that. I threw that in. So, he says, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commands me. This makes me think of Psalm 37.4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Think on that one. And I would like some participation this morning, especially because um, I think this will help uh, this message and the message of Scott get into you um, so as I come to each point I'm going to ask you to repeat after me for example right now you would say Lord Jesus and my father God your desire is my desire my life my delight is your delight say it with me Lord Jesus and my Father God, your desire is my desire. And my delight is your delight. And through this passage, Jesus gives us seven points like this. Points to join him in understanding what our joy is. And I'm giving them to you in P's so that you can remember them somehow. <laughs> um, verse 1 of chapter 15. Notice it. This is where Jesus gives us a picture of friendship. He says, verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Say with me, 
my friend Jesus, you've cleaned me, are cleaning me. You've cleaned me, justification, are cleaning me, sanctification, will clean me, glorification, all of your salvation wrapped up in one. My friend Jesus, you've cleaned me, are cleaning me, and will clean me. Then, Jesus continues to claim that his presence is with us in this friendship, in his friendship. Verse 4, the first part of it. It says, remain in me, and I remain in you, as I remain in you. Say with me. My friend Jesus, you chose to walk with me before time. Lord Jesus, you chose to work with me. Lord Jesus, you chose to work with me before time. Walk with me. Walk with me now in time. And you are always with me. For B, the second half of that verse... He speaks of the power of this friendship that he puts into us. Look how it reads. Branches can't bear fruit themselves. Branches must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing, nothing. Say with me, friend, you are so close to me. You're in me, demonstrating your power through me. Fourthly, it's with passion that Jesus warns us as friends. Pick up. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He calls us to, by faith, dwell with him, remain with him, abide with him in his love. And only by this faith can you please him, which is what you were left here on earth to do. This is your opportunity, the only opportunity that you will have in all of your eternity to choose to live by faith and glorify him. Think about that. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You have a future with him and that is why you practice 
point five, what friendship is all about as Jesus has shown us. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, back, a reference back to 1431. And I remain in his love. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see the connection? Say with me, friend, you have enabled me. Giving me the power to glorify God in practice. He wants you, next point, to have his pleasure in this friendship. Look at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command. All of your time now that you crossed over from death to life, you're called no longer to live in the flesh, but you're called, invited into this life with the Spirit. You've crossed over from death to life. You're, as Paul said, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what we're doing actively because we want to hear him say, well done. He won't say it like that. Well done. Well done. He wants us to have his pleasure in our friendship say with me friend your love is my love so point seven he provides us with the very nature of friendship look at verse 15 i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead i have called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I have made known to you, you did not choose me. I chose you, God is sovereign, and appointed you. You have a free will. Appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last throughout eternity. And so whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Whatever you ask, if you could walk with God on a continual basis, your delight would be his delight. His desire would be your desire. You could ask for anything. He would give it to you. Now, think about this. I'm going to add to this understanding of this passage because John does later in his life think about this everything in all of reality has a name everything in all of reality is known by that name and nameless things are not known in reality um my wife Susie 
we were on our way to China. Very early in the morning, we had to get up for this flight. And uh, we're walking through this very long line. And we come to, she's got her back to me because we're talking. And we come to this TSA agent <laughs> who is Indian. And he has an accent. And he says to Susie, Heidi. And Susie turns and says, no, no, it's Susie. He says it again, Heidi. Now, in that way that you and I think that it would make it heard to someone of another dialect, she loudly says, no, Susie, enunciating, you know. He says it again, <laughs> Heidi. And she, I whisper in her ear, he's asking for your ID. The lights go on and, oh, it was a great moment <laughs> for me. <laughs> by the time the Apostle John, on this idea of a name, by the time the Apostle John is done writing about our friendship, you know, he writes other books, 1 John, 3rd, 2nd, 3rd John, and then he writes the book of Revelation for us. And from the book of Revelation, listen to this in terms of your friendship. Verse 2, 17 of Revelation. John tells us this. Jesus will give you, I'm quoting now, a white stone and he will write a new name on that stone that no one knows except you. Your own personal special name, secret name with Jesus. Is that cool or what? And then, the next chapter, Revelation 3 and 12, it says that Jesus will write his name on you. Which reminds me of Toy Story and Woody. You know, the little western doll? There's a snake in my boot. You know, whatever. Well, do you remember? He was so happy to show off Andy on the bottom of his boot because Andy had written his name on him. That is the Father's love for you in friendship. This is how true friendship is full of joy because genuine joy flows from friendship with Jesus. So I leave you with a thought to ponder, a thought about friendship that was given to us by Martin Luther back in the 1500s, um, the great reformer, the, the one that launched us into Reformation, he said this. Think on it. He said, love God and do as you please. Kind of provocative. Thanks, John. I'm going to double check. Make sure your pack is off, John, so you don't, we don't start hearing you snoring back there during my sermon. <laughs> Thank you very much, brother. So we learned this passage here. We're in John 15. Uh, we learned this passage here in this great abide passage that Christ, unique in all Scripture, in this passage we see that Christ calls himself our, 
our friend, right? Our, our dominant theme is that he is our Lord, and he's our Savior. He's really reintroduced to us in this new covenant reality that the, uh, God himself is now our Father. But there's a very unique thing said in John 15, which he says, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. It's wrapped into all this. He is this new great friend. And John pulled out these pieces of, of this idea of joy. In verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and your joy may be full. Not your natural joy, but a new joy. Joy that comes from him, and not just a natural level of it, but a fullness of that new type joy. That's what he gives us in that friendship towards us. And so when we celebrate Advent, and we celebrate Jesus coming and bringing the gift of joy, it's just different than some of these words we use all the time. We talked a couple weeks ago about hope um, and how our English definition of hope is a not likely well-wish of something to happen, a contrast to biblical hope, which is certainty, rock-solid certainty. It's not, not even in question. Same with joy. We tend to think of joy as moments of happiness, and, and certainly joy is, is in those pieces. But he's bringing us something different. Jesus comes and brings the gift of a different joy. In verse 13 and 14, we find this first piece is, number one, we're born again into friendship with Jesus. So if you want to think about joy, we have to be born again in that friendship. In verse 13 and 14, in, verse, in chapter 15, it says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Um, I didn't put the slide up today, so you have to kind of imagine it. You know, when we talk about the gospel, right, we talk about the, we, we come through and God who made us all makes us as humanity. We're in that fallen position. And then we hit like he offers us something, potential of something, right? And then second of all, if you want them, then what's the payment of that? And this passage here refers to both of those. In 13, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life with his friends. That's the payment. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. That's the offer, right? Christ is offering a chance. This unique friendship isn't just friendship like between, you know, me and Alex. Like, our friendship is not based upon the fact of me always doing what Alex wants me to do. That would not be much of a friendship. It might be kind of blackmail, in fact. A very manipulative friendship of like, hey, can I be your friend? I promise to do everything you say to me in our MC. We're all cool. That's not human relationship. It's human friendship. Jesus is talking about something different. He does not lose his divinity. He does not lose his lordship as he becomes our friend. He says, if you are my friend, then you will follow my commandments. It is this idea of what is he offering us. So if we reject the lordship of Jesus, we reject the friendship of Jesus. You can't have Jesus as your friend, not have Jesus as the Lord and ruler of your life. In 13, then it talks about the payment. The second part of being a friend of Jesus is not only that you belong to Jesus, but you're paid for by Jesus. That's why he lays down his life for his friend, because his friends, us, we don't have it. We don't have the merit. We can never obey him enough to earn merit to, you know, secure that friendship. So Jesus makes us his friends by his own work. We are born again into this. So stop, number one, if you're watching us online, wherever you're at. Number one, are you, have you been born again into friendship with Jesus, genuinely? Have you stopped the train and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God and say, I have no other hope but you. All I have is Christ. I give up all lordship of all other things in myself over my life. And number two, I give up hope of all worthiness of everything else but Jesus. For Jesus, by Jesus. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you had that clear interaction with the God of heaven? Because, I just say it, because oftentimes 
we come to understand the Lord by getting near his people and they're carrying his message and they're telling us eight things and we get one. And we're hanging out with them again. They tell us another six things, and we get maybe two more. And we're, we're snowballing into our understanding of the scope of this message and what it is. And sometimes as we're doing that and understanding pieces, we're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. We start to think in terms of this, but we have never turned face-to-face to the Lord and say, God, I must be born again. I must be made your friend because I don't just acclimate in friendly thinking. I have to be spiritually, supernaturally transformed and given new life. In our conversations here in this room over the years, <clears throat> amazing conversations about this. It's like, well, how far do I have to get before I'm in? Like, you just have to be honestly sitting for the Lord and say, God, I need you. That's why a five-year-old can do it. That's why you can do it on your deathbed after having a life of, of completely dishonoring the Lord, being anti-glorious to the name of Jesus. You can, on your deathbed, look to Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. You ought not to play that game. But you can be, and it is freely offered to you. So as the lights are going down, <clears throat> scream out and cry out to him. He's dropped you a promise. This isn't just a hunk. I have a, I have a hanker, and then I'm like, if I just call for help. He promises you, call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. So number one, are you born again into the friendship with Jesus? Um, he says elsewhere, John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments. He's describing this new relationship with him. A new relationship where we belong to Jesus by the work of Jesus. The second one is abiding in the source of joy. So you have to be born in the friendship with Jesus to actually have this joy. Number two, to abide in that source of joy. Because Jesus doesn't like say, okay, you're born again, and now I, now you're just constantly joyful. you got this plastic smile on your face, and the car wrecks, you're like, oh, that's great. i got glass in my eye. This is, this is good, you know, and these wonderful things. It's not that plastic, foolish positivity that's not really joy. Real joy is deeper. Uh, on uh, Thanksgiving meal, we have had a, a dear family member pass. Um, her name was Aunt Rosie. She's with Jesus now. Sweet lady. 92 years old, still out mowing her own lawn. Um, like you shake her hand and dude, this is like a solid handshake. Like this lady has hooked some hay in her day, right? Um, but we were sitting at the table and it was a mix of people at that table. Um, half the people didn't know Jesus, half the people didn't know Jesus in the family. And the discussion of Aunt Rosie came up. I've actually never been around a family discussion where we start brought up somebody who's died. I know it sounds weird, but part of Thanksgiving seemed really fitting to talk about Aunt Rosie at the table and how she was joyful. And she, Aunt Rosie would sit there with a smile on her face, and she would smile as if she knew something really secret, really good about you. Like, she was just full of joy because she knew Jesus, and she really, really loved you. You might be a weirdo that you, we brought over for Thanksgiving, but you sit at the table, Aunt Rosie's going to look straight into your soul, and she's going to really, really love you. And you know what? As I, I, I mentioned something like that, and the, the people that didn't know, know Jesus at the table were like, absolutely. Like, the joy of this woman had, had really won over their hearts to, to understand that she had something that they didn't have. Where does it come from? It comes from abiding in the source of joy, this new friendship with Jesus. Jesus stays with you, and he's speaking things. That's why he says, these things I've said to you that your joy might have be full. Consider some other statements very similar elsewhere. First John, same guy. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He says, 
But now I'm coming to you that these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In John 17, Jesus says later on, same book, these things I'm speaking to you into the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So if you want to have this Jesus-type joy, which you don't have naturally, you will only get it through the words of Jesus. And you can only enjoy it if you're born again in a friendship with him. And as a friend of Jesus, now we abide, we stay underneath, we stay in his teachings, we listen, and we rehearse ourselves, and we keep our face in the scripture, listening to the words of life, listening to the source of joy, because even if we are a friend of, friend of Jesus, but if we're not dwelling in the words of Jesus, we will not taste his joy and the fullness of joy. So if you're a believer, a friend in Jesus, but your face is engorged in things of this world, stuff, people, experiences, that kind of stuff, you're not going to have the joy. Because your friend Jesus is sitting there with the whole bucket of stuff he wants to say to you through the word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God. And you're like, no, no, I just want to watch another internet video. No, 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 I just want to buy something. No, 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 I just want to go somewhere. No, 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 I just want to have this, just have this. You're not going to live in the joy that Jesus is advertising to you. And just as secure as he says, your sins are forgiven, he says, I have joy for you. And it it, it completely dwarfs this earthly type stuff joy, right? And I have a future for you. And he's worth listening to. If he's worth listening to for your future, he's worth listening to for you now. Or maybe you're not really trusting him for the future either. So that King Jesus, that friend, is putting joy out in front of us. and He's putting it at the, at the, in the writing in front of us. And again, not only is it a joy for us to, to read it, he says, this is some of his, his uh, teachers, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's joy in the words of Jesus. There's joy in taking it and listening to it. And there's joy in actually giving it out. There's really joy being in, working MVM and sitting with kids at night, tucking them in, and, and actually giving out the joyful words of Jesus and letting things stick. It's really joyful. It really is some of the sweetest joys of my life have been when I'm being able to speak the words of God and people are taking them in and it's transforming. Dude, that's one of the best things in the world. I've had people write me a $1,000 check before, a $5,000 check before. I've had uh, gifts way bigger than that given to me over the years. I love those things, and if that's on your heart, I'll take it. Okay, but, <laughs> but um, in all honesty, no hyperbole here. The joy I have received from watching people listen to God's word beats the joy of $1,000 checks, $5,000 checks, and those kind of things. It absolutely beats it, and it lasts. It lasts. That is joy. So he gives us joys. We listen to the word. We get joys. We give out the word. We love seeing God draw people into his friendship. And, and, and brothers and sisters, you've probably tasted it, and you've probably not tasted it. In all fairness, you probably tasted it less than you have tasted it, but you probably have tasted it. Think back to what you've tasted in that. The joy of friendship of Jesus is found in what he has told us. Friendship are found if what Jesus has found in what he has told us. So if we fancy ourselves a friend of Jesus, that friendship is found and is expressed and lived in actually being under his words. His spirit is put into us, but his spirit is not going to circumvent the words of the spirit of Jesus. Right? First, we're going to be in his word. Come back to his words. Come back to his words. Abide it. Stick it in your head. Chew it. Put it down your lip. It's spiritual snuff. Like Just get it in your head. Like Chew on it. Dwell on it. Don't be skimpy on the words of Jesus. And it may be a little bit that our difficulty in finding joy from Jesus, it's from our lack of source, or we're actually thinking, okay, well, then joy is these little moments of uh, thrill I have through my life, and I just can't see how Jesus would create these little tiny moments of joy. 
quit trying to jam Jesus in those little tiny joy boxes, right? His joy is something completely different and bigger. So if that's our plan, is that I like these little tiny moments of joy through my life, and supposedly I think I can take the massive, amazing joy of Jesus and the fullness of it, and like, whoop, 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 fill up those little joy boxes. It's just not going to happen that way. He's going to give you completely different categories of joy, but it's going to be based upon his word. If you're scripture light, friend of Jesus, you'll be joy light. If you're scripture absent, you'll be joy absent. If you're scripture rich and believed and believed. So none of this like, I've read the Bible, I read the Bible every morning, but you don't believe it. You don't engage it. Those aren't the words of Jesus and you're chewing on them and meditating on them. So scripture rich and believed, joyful, joy common. Jesus' source of joy is his word, and he's called us to abide by it. Jesus offers you a life of joy, and it is directly fueled by keeping our minds and hearts guzzling in the joy-giving words of our joy-giving friend. Okay? That's the joy. Now, two categories of joy happen in this world. In the scriptures, if you're reading through New Testament, Old Testament, and reading through joy and rejoice in those passages, you're going to find two types. Number one, which is a notice joy. So my third point here is we're watching for delivered joys. Um, Tristan. I get joy out of Tristan. I like Tristan a lot. Um, I really do. I get to hang out with Tristan. You ever get to, if you're, you're an MC of Tristan, you get to hear go Tristan story time. It's a, it's a splendid thing. And I can sit back and I can recognize the joys I get off that for a bunch of different reasons. Number one, fun stories. But also, I, I've just seen in my relationship with Tristan, I see how he brings joy to people. I see how he welcomes them, whatever. And for me, um, it's not too hard to sit back and actually find that in me as a, as a discovered joy. I don't have to count that as joy. I know that as joy. I walk away from hanging out with tr Tristan most times. Um, and in my heart, I have had a good time. And I found joy. So I watch for it. God is, God is bringing you type of joy, number one, all the time, where he gives it to you. In this church, we have it all the time. When you hang out with our, our people and they, they bless you and they love you, and sometimes they kick your tail in a loving way, or not a loving way, but Jesus forgives. And uh, we experience all this type of joy we have here, provision for things, moments of amazingness. We see the joys. Now, God tells us to watch out for those joys. Colossians 4, 2 says this, continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful for it in thanksgiving. So joy number one is joy that is on the ground. Goodness of things of God delivered on the ground. You've seen them. You've experienced them. And God calls us to watch out because Jesus is delivering joy. But truth be told, you and I hardly ever notice a fat percentage of what he's already given. It's good. It's there. If we could sit back in the evenings and go, all right, Spirit of God, lead me in remembering the joys that you delivered today. And just start thinking and scribbling down with a pencil the sweet things that you had. And that nice person that lets you in the line, that money that he gave you, that, that check that auto-deposited like it should, to the fact that your knees didn't hurt today, to the fact that, you know, whatever the things are, just start listing them through all the lesser and wonderful sweet joys that he's given to you. Load them out. And thank him for those things. So we're watching reflectively for joy. And we see this lots of times in Scripture where we see in 1 Thessalonians 2, joy seen and felt from God's beloved people. In John 16, joy at answered prayer. Acts 15, joy at seeing people receive new life and growing in Jesus. 
2 Corinthians, we see joy in the joy of others. So, I mean, joy, God delivers joy all the time, all the way around us. But watch for it. Ask him for it. Thank him for it, okay? Live it up in the joy he's given. But then there's a second type of joy he gives. Remember, Jesus says, I'll give you my joy and the fullness of it. This, the, my fourth point here is this. Counting the rest as joy by faith. Counting the rest as joy by faith. So if you're a believer and you've been cruising the scriptures for a while, uh, when I say that, certain old texts start to pop in your head. You know, count it all as joy, right? Here's a, here's a few of them that I'm going to throw out there for you. First Peter chapter 4. But rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Jesus. Okay, if you're new to scripture, welcome to the unique side of Jesus' teaching. Jesus talks about suffering being present and expected in the believer's life and for them still to count that as joy. It's a second type of joy. It's not just simply joy delivered. This is here a moment of faith declaring, faith stepping into joy. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So you rejoice now because then and later you will see joy on the ground. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Like, what in the world? I mean, who wants to do that? That's not very natural. Trial and temptation, count it all joy. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So we say counting it as joy. This is the full mindful and heart engagement in the celebration of full victory and attainment with no half-heartedness at all. Okay, I have an analogy. We'll see if it works. Okay, because when you're counting it as joy, it's like this. It's like going to a sports team. A sports team is in the middle of their season. It's not going well. And all of a sudden, a time travel keeps showing up. And they're like, dude, I've seen the end of the season. You won the championship. And they pull out the thing of, of champagne and go, here, pop a cork. Right? So they do it again and again, and you're on the court, you've busted your ankle, and all of a sudden, boom, person shows them, it's okay, it's okay. You won the season. Pop the cork. Right? You're doing really bad. They show up, boom, it's okay. You won the season. Pop the cork. And all through the different times and practices, this person keeps showing up and say, I've been there at the end. You won the season. Now I'm encouraging you to do this crazy thing, which is to celebrate the victory now in the midst of the pain. Because honestly, that's why you're practicing in the first place. Honestly, that's why you rolled around with a busted ankle. You risked that ankle. In fact, you know that twisted ankle is worth it if we win the victory. That's why I slid into those things in the first place. And the good days and the bad days, all those things are there strategized as a sport in hopes of winning that victory. So if you know that victory is won and time traveler boy comes back and goes, woohoo, here we go, there is this weird reality of rejoicing full victory in the midst of something that doesn't look right. And so if people couldn't see your time traveling buddy, they're like, what are you doing? How are you laying there holding your ankle going, woo? How, how are you like sweating like a pig on the court going, oh, this is great. How are you going in the, in the halftime where you're losing and you're not sad? It's because you understand and have bought in and are celebrating with the full celebration of victory in the midst of the time where it doesn't look apparent. So think, the reason I say that is like, that's why he's saying count it all joy. He's not just supposed to say resign yourself to it, but count it all joy. Just resolve is this. That's time travel going to brigade. It's okay. I know your ankle's broke, but in the end you win this thing. So just tough it out. So you're okay. I'm going to tough it out. 
That's not what he's saying. He said, count it as joy. Rejoice. Hands you the champagne. Right? There's a difference between hand you the champagne and tough it out, big guy. Right? Furrow brow, this will be okay in the difference. Joy, biblical joy, counting as joy, is celebrating in the end. And it doesn't make sense. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, when it says, when they ask for a reason for the joy that resides in you, what catches their attention is hope. But is it gutting it out? That's not what catches their attention. Everybody guts it out. What catches their attention is the way in which you hope. You are celebrating in a certainty in a way that doesn't make sense to them at all. You're going through something terrible. You're going through loss. You're going through pain. You're going through suffering. You're going through being persecuted for Jesus. But you have joy. Not just resolve, but resolve to the point of joy. A full emotional buy-in. Not just getting it out. And it is attention gathering. They want to know, what are you looking at that I can't see? It's like when that traveling buddy shows up and is celebrating, you're popping that champagne, like, why are you doing it? Because they can't, they can't see the hope. It doesn't make sense to them. You're doing something that doesn't register on their account. Second Corinthians, and, and guys, it might be done in the midst of horrible buckets of tears. Second Corinthians 6.10 says this, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I'm listening to language. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet n- making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Where joy is not natural, the friends of Jesus trustingly step into rightful celebration of certainty ahead of them, and they count it as all joy, and we rejoice. So we rejoice when we look back and we see it already delivered, and then we count the rest as joy in celebration, in certainty of what's coming ahead of us. So let me just finish this off with a talk a moment about our witness and admission. Um, I I guess this. I have noticed that there are two sides of this that we commonly don't live in. Number one, the ignoring of Jesus and the absence of hope all around. I think most of us can really say, I get that because I've done it on a pretty much weekly basis. My mind is not in the richest of the scriptures, and the scriptures aren't working through my head and my heart. I'm not believing in them, and so therefore I'm not fueled up to have great joy. But there's another side, I think, that's sneaky, and I just want to challenge it with you. A bunch of us have kids. If you don't have kids... Live with me a moment. Just, just put coworkers in place of kids in this. Would your kids say that you're joyful? Would your coworkers say that you're a joyful person? Or are you just simply a resolved person? Because our world is often filled with Christians who are really down. The thing that's captured them, the thing that's captured them is, is really how hard it is, how bad the government is, how bad people are, because they've gotten so much worse in the last five years, because really they weren't that bad five years ago, right? Um, and so, so sometimes I would just say, and particularly in my interaction with more of a conservative Christian crowd, is that people can be heavy of heart, and they're low. They're not joyful. Um, and I, I might say this in two ways. There's, there's two reasons why that's a really big problem. Number one, it comes from us not really listening to what Jesus has said about us in the fall in the first place. Our experience so far in our journey has caused us to encounter things, and quite honestly, your journey is really short, even if you're 120. You've encountered things that have started to tip the scale to make things look really down and sad. 
But the problem is, Jesus has told you they are way more down and sad than that in the first place. Way more. You're just beginning the journey of discovery of how bad things are. I watched a news article this week, and um, man, it just made me weep. It was a, it was a video of someone suffering injustice. And it just stirred my heart. You know, like it was, it was, it was horrible. But that horrible thing happens a hundred times in that country, and it happens thousands of times around this world. I mean, the atrocities, if we, if we knew what was happening today across humanity, just to humanity, not towards God, it would be overwhelming for us. We couldn't handle it. God knows it. Jesus comes and visits and goes, there is, I'm telling you, there's none righteous, no, not one. None seek God. Right? There's no goodness in man. So the problem number one is if we become crusty and a sourpuss and heavy-hearted as Christians as we go along, Number one, we probably aren't listening to his description in the fall from the very first point. Because once you reckon with that, that everyone's spiritually dead, everyone's anti-Jesus, shown in a thousand different ways, that sin has gotten pervasively into every crack of this world, we know what we're dealing with. Nothing new in the news is a shocker to us. We're like, Well, that's kind of what he told us, right? And it's horrible. So number one, we aren't low enough in the first place. That's why we become heavy. We haven't listened to what Jesus said is wrong with this world. We've tried to perceive it and assess it with our own eyes. But number two, what about these passages like, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world? What about, count the sufferings here not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us? If God is for us, what can man do against us? All things are yours. What can separate us from the love of God? See, the gospel has some bad news in it, and it's shockingly horrible bad news. We need to deal with it. So you quit getting surprised at how crusty your friend is. You're surprised at how crusty your friend is? That's because you haven't listened to what Jesus has been saying about your friend the whole time. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a shocker to you. So listen to what Jesus said, which is horrible bad news, but then there is a greater grace. The goodness of the gospel dwarfs the utter horror of the bad news in the gospel. Dwarfs it crushes it not worthy to be compared to it so there's two things wrong with being a heavy mopey christian number one you're not listening to how bad it is in the first place and number two you're clearly not listening to, to the better part of it and so when we understand that when we see the lens of the gospel of christ comes with power and blessing to completely obscure and dwarf and remove the depths of sin that changes you to something it changes you to a joyful confident person not a resolved, furrow-browed person. Well, we're going to get through it. No, no, no. He's calling you to get past that to put your heart behind it. If you're just simply furrow-browed this, you're just kind of holding on. Your heart is not there behind it. You're just going to gut it out. He's calling for you to step into it. He's calling for you to come and celebrate in it. It truly is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Even as you weep, even as they die, even as you have pain, he says, step into me. Look at the victory. Look at the victory. Look to the victory. How are you going to remember that? You're going to listen to him say, look at the victory because you got your nose in the text or you have a sweet sister next to you like speaking the text in your ear so your heart is filled with the word of God. Jesus Christ is the new friend and the new friend gives us a whole different type of joy. Brings us to a whole different type of life. A life where we listen to his words and keep feeling it and keep stepping in faith into those words. And we are moved by him, not moved by this. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full because Jesus Christ is our friend that came and brought the gift of joy. Brothers and sisters, don't 
fix it for today. Live in the joy, in the gift of joy. Tomorrow, get ready to live in the gift of joy. If you're going to be there, number one, you've got to be alive, born again in the friendship. And number two, you've got to source it. You've got to fuel it. Get rich in God's word. Get God's word in and in and in your heart. Meditate, memorize, think, read, pray, and help me to do the same. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for bringing us the gift of joy. Thank you for bringing us a new joy, the fullness of joy. Thank you for a joy that absolutely dominates and crushes all that we see around us, that we might rejoice the sorrowful, that we would be not morose, resolved people of furrowed brow, but people whose hearts step with joy into the celebration of the certainty of Jesus and all the gifts you bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.